likely familiar to many of you. If you're not somebody who uh, is familiar with the Word of God, obviously any of it will be something that's new to you. Maybe there's verses that stick out more than others if you hear about them. Maybe you've seen a, a verse on a billboard going down the road or something like that. But if you're somebody who's been in church and you've read the Word of God, if you've heard much preaching, you've probably heard some preaching from this. And I certainly am not going to try to improve on things that have already been done. But I want you to notice some things this morning that I believe are imperative for us to know. And one of the reasons we know it's imperative is because the writer of this book, this book to the Hebrews, an epistle to Hebrew believers. We're talking about Jewish believers of the first century who were facing dynamics of that period of time that were intensely contrary to their faith, to walking out this faith of Christ Jesus the Messiah. The, 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 the complete redefinition of everything they had come to understand about what it meant to serve the one true and living God. Uh, Aaron, I don't know where you slipped off to. I don't where, When you said a minute ago, the Lord is one, I think you were saying W-O-N because that's the song we were going into. I thought you were actually reciting Deuteronomy 6-4, uh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is O-N-E, one. So I, that's where I went when you said that. Well, that was the common confession of the Hebrew believers. So when this idea that the one Lord God, Yahweh, the creator, redeemer God had appeared in the form of this Jesus of Nazareth. Everything was redefined. It, it was either Christ or it was to walk away from God's plan. That was too much for some of them. The apostle Paul found it way too much for him and he decided to extinguish this way, as it's called in the New Testament, the way. All right, that was, that was kind of how they described it, that, that new way, that, that mysterious, weird, uh, this, this thing that follows the man from Galilee. He's just another, uh, you know, up-and-coming Messiah. It'll drift away in no time, and it didn't. They really knew it, it wasn't going to go away when he came back from the grave. And they couldn't produce the body. They couldn't find anybody to say, no, no, I've got hard evidence that he's still in there. They stole him and they took him somewhere else that he's still, that he's still dead. Nobody could produce that. And so this overwhelming fact of the resurrection, fact, truth, hard and put to rest fact of resurrection could not be overturned. If there was any time to overturn it, it was then. These believers now empowered 40 days later uh, just a few weeks ago, they were scared to death to even be numbered with the man that had been put on, put on the cross. And now having glimpsed the risen Savior, they are full of faith and passion and fire and energy to take that message of the risen one to anyone and everyone despite what it cost them, even to the point of their lives and beyond, to the spoiling of their belongings, to, to the, the complete disreputation in the community. Here they're following that out. But boy, the persecution gets intense and these believers who have always confessed that the Lord is one and have found themselves following the Lord Jesus Christ are now pulled away by that old life. Man, there's something, there's something so attractive about the temple still. I mean Herod's temple. They said, if you want to see grandeur and, and, and breadth and, and size, go to Rome. But if you want to see beauty, go to Jerusalem. That was, the, that was the reputation Herod the Great had as a builder having rebuilt the temple. He was dead and gone, but they were finishing the temple up right about this time, about the time this book was written. And boy, the pull was strong to go back to those old elements of worshiping God exclusive of Jesus. 
And this book was written to say, do not go back. Do not draw back. You cannot follow God and exclude Jesus. He said it plainly. There is one way to the Father, and it is me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. All of that has been established, and this book is written to lay out the case, as it were, again, as to why the Lord Jesus Christ is worthy of everything to be suffered in His name. And when we get to the end of this book, we've got a culmination because the man who's written it, there's a lot of dispute about who actually penned the book. Just settle it in your mind. It was the Holy Spirit of God that wrote this book through a human penman. We don't exactly know who it was. There's some good candidates. But despite all that, the case has been building. The facts have been laid out. And now it's that, it's that sort of inspirational driving call. It's, it's sort of the invitation time. It's the time to say, all right, if you want to see where all of this walks itself out, here you go. And we get the capstone of it right here in chapter 12. And he says, wherefore. That's a big wherefore because it takes a lot of things in, but we'll see what it takes in in just a minute specifically. Wherefore, seeing that we also, looking at all of this, understanding that we are surrounded by this magnificent cloud, this great group of witnesses. Let's do this. Let's lay aside every weight, all those encumbrances that, that so easily get on us and those sins which so easily entangle us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And let's do it this way, looking unto Jesus, the one who authored and finished our faith, who for the joy that was set before him like the race that set before us, the joy that was in front of him, for that he endured the cross. Certainly despising its shame, yes. But now he sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him. The one that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. As a point of entry into this, I want you to notice the word that's been repeated throughout these three, three verses. Verse number one. Let us run with patience. Some of your, your Bibles, your translations might say endurance. How many of you, it's, it's written endurance in there. Okay, so with that in mind, go to verse two. Look into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Verse 3, consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. By this time in the letter, by this, by this point right here, the theme is overt. We don't have to talk about really what's he trying to say. Is he being coy about it? Is he trying to couch it in metaphorical language? Or is he coming right out and saying what he means? It's pretty obvious what he means. Endure, endure, endure. Okay. Endure. Is this the first time we've heard about this? No, no, no. Look at what he said in verse 1. He said, did you see all this back here? Wherefore, seeing all this great cloud, this big bunch of witnesses, let's do this. Let's, let's unencumber ourselves. Let's get untangled from all of that sin that just bogs us down. And let's run by way of patience. Now, I want to make sure we know what this word means so that we can actually let the word of God find root in our hearts and walk this out of here today. 
Now, the, the Greek word here is hupomeno. That's the verb form of the word, okay? And it's uh, just a form of two Greek verbs. It essentially means to wait up under, which doesn't really help us a lot. It's not as though you wait up under a shelter until the rainstorm stops, though that gives you an introductory idea of the word. But this form of the word, the, the intent of this word is not to set it out until it's over. It's not to just step aside and say, well, traffic is a little heavy right now. Let's wait and leave a little later so we don't have to deal with all of that traffic. It's not the idea, okay, of sitting in the car. I got three daughters, all right, sitting in the car, waiting on my three girls to get ready to go to church because we said we're going to leave by 8.30. Can y'all come on, please, okay? We said it last night. We said it this morning. We said 10 minutes. We said five minutes. We said three minutes. Are you ready? I'm ready to go, Dad. And I walked out the door, and I got in the car, put all my stuff in. So now I'm sitting out there tooling along, looking over my sermon notes or whatever. This is live stream, didn't it? Okay, I kind of forgot that. All right. Love you, girls. And they're going to say, you're not always out there on time either. And they're right, okay? And so the horn gets honked, okay? And that drives them nuts. Good. If it drives you nuts, whatever. Just drive you outside is what I want. Get out here. Okay, we think of patience as being really having to wait without expressing frustration. That's generally probably what we think of when we think of patience. Learn how to sit still and not run your mouth or get mad or blow up or, or say something you're going to regret. Just wait, and whatever it is either, will either resolve itself or you'll then be able to move along and get what it is that you're after. That certainly is included in the idea of patience, but it's really the, it's really the, the easy exterior of it. I did say easy, okay? That's the, that's the outer fringe of it. That's the low standard for patience. This word is not saying just wait it out until conditions are better and do so in a, in a nice way. It's not what this word is trying to intend. This word has the idea, and we can, we can know this because of the example we're given. It is to, it is to go and press and, and push on up under the load. Those of you who run a business and have employees, I know that you value those employees who despite issues that come up along the way, the first thing they do is not certainly to sit down and wait till the boss gets here so that he or she can help me work this problem out. That's certainly, no, no, we, that's not the kind of employer we want. We want a problem solver, right? Figure out how to get the job done. Now, that's the way we might use this word. Now, we don't think of that as patience, but the idea behind this verb, hupomeno, is to press on in the midst of resistance. Let me just, let me, let me, let me paraphrase it with a couple of words, okay? Relentless persistence. That's hupomeno, relentless persistence. Let's, let's read the text with that in mind, okay? Wherefore, seeing also we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let's lay aside every weight, let's, let, let's unentangle ourselves from the sins that easily beset us, and let us run with relentless persistence the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him relentlessly pursued despite the cross and the shame that went with it. And he sat down at the right hand of God. For consider him that relentlessly pursued even in the face of hostile rebellion from sinners. You get the idea. Now this, this is not the first time we're hearing about this. Now, if we go back, and I want you to go back to Hebrews chapter 10. Now, when he said, seeing the great cloud of witnesses, that's chapter 11. We'll see it in just a second. 
That's what he turned our attention to. Are you seeing that over there? Okay, did you, did you notice it? Because we're not going to go on until you've noticed that. But all of this comes back to chapter 10. Look at verse 32. Call to remembrance. You need to remember something. Call to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, after that time that you came to Christ and understood the reality of His truth and life and resurrection, when you came to faith, man, you endured a great flight of afflictions, a fight rather. Partly, it was because you were made a gazing stock. In other words, people poked fun at you, and they, and maybe even they did things to push against you, to mock and scoff and make it cost something to have followed Jesus. That I know that happened to you, but also by these reproaches and afflictions, while you were in the companionship of these that were, that were used in the same way. Verse 2, everybody was in the same boat. You came into this, like you came into this room today, and, 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 you know, and, and Sarah and, give me the other name, Chris, Sarah and Chris, who were baptized today and, and found themselves now in partnership with this community of believers. Man, you shared some things, and in these days, one of the things they shared was people that said, ah, there's the Jesus followers. There's the Christians. There's the little Christs over there. That's the people that turn their back on our people, on our God, on the one Lord. You were made a gazing stock. But what you knew is you were in the company of people who said, hey, I, I, the same thing happens to me all week long. So you bore that and you persisted in spite of it. The, the, the author has called our minds back to the first days when we didn't care what anybody said about us being believers. We didn't care what they said about us loving Jesus, whether we were crazy or in the now antiquated words of DC Talk from long ago. Am I allowed to say that? The Jesus freaks. Okay, Boy, That feels like a long time ago. We didn't care if they said that. Like a middle school kid who found love, all right, and all his buddies make fun of him. He doesn't care because he's smitten. And maybe that's a silly way to say it, but you get the idea. Paul says, do you remember that? I said, Paul, because I kind of, Kind of heads toward Paul writing all this. But the author says, you remember this? You remember you were with a group of people who said, man, we don't care either. Man, we are so taken with the risen one, with the Lord Jesus Christ, that we're going to press on. And he says this, you had compassion even of me in my bonds. You took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. In other words, you gave to me until it was like you had been robbed. You took joyfully the spoiling of your own goods, knowing you have a better substance in heaven. You said, Man, what's this stuff mean to me? Yeah, I mean, here's my wallet. Here's my, this, stuff is, this stuff is fleeting anyway. If it's going to help Paul or help somebody else, man, give it away because I got a better substance in heaven. You remember when that was the passion and the drive and the perspective that shaped and governed your everyday experience? Do you remember that? I need you to remember that. I want you to go back and remember that. Here's why. And he says, don't cast away therefore your confidence. Don't dispense with that confidence, which has great recompense of reward or a great return on the investment. Ye have need of patience. Why? That's not what I wanted to hear. Okay. Patience is not the, that's not the solution I want. I want a problem solved. Okay. I'm going to make it go away. I'm going to fix the situation. I'm going to control whatever it is. And he says, no, you need to set tight. That's actually the word meno. That's the word that kind of simplifies before you get to the waiting up under. He said, you need some patience. You need to step back and remember this about your Christian experience. You have need of patience. 
that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. Then he goes back and he quotes some places from the Old Testament. And he says, yet a little while, he that comes will come. The, the Maranatha, the coming of the Lord is here. He will not wait any longer than necessary. He will not tarry. Now, you know this, the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, you see that word draw back? That's the, that's the danger. Don't draw back. If any man draw back, my soul has no pleasure in that. I, I don't delight in people who give up and turn away and decide they're done with it. They're cashing in and walking away. I don't have any pleasure in that. But we are not of them who draw back. I love that line in verse 39. We are not of them who draw back into perdition, into that old sinful way of life. We're of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Did you catch what, they, what, what, the, what the author said to introduce us to chapter 11. And if you don't know chapter 11, it is a litany of people who have by faith done this, by faith done this, by faith done this, by faith done this. And we just saw, he said, you need patience to endure so that you don't draw back. Now, if I jump over chapter 11, which I don't need to do, but for a moment I do, I jump over chapter 11, and he says, now, did you see all those people, all that great cloud of witnesses? With that in mind, get rid of the encumbrances and run with relentless persistence. So what has chapter 11 been? It has been a parenthesis, as it were. It's been a walk through a, a, a sort of a museum, not the best word, maybe a gallery like my friend Bob Sanders calls it, but it's all the displays of those who by what, Verse 39 in chapter 10 said, are them who don't draw back. Let me, let me paraphrase all of this to get us into chapter 11. Here's what he says. You need to remember those early days. You remember all of that that marked out your early life of faith in Christ. I need you to go back to that because you right now are in need of some relentless persistence. Your mind is, is looking back and thinking, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's worth it. I don't know if this is exactly the way I want to go. The cost is getting high. I'm getting weary. Or maybe there seems like a better option. Whatever it is that's got you looking back over your shoulder, I need you to stop and remember so that you don't draw back. The Lord has no pleasure in those that draw back. And then he says, but we're not of the company of those that draw back. That's not who we are. And I want you to know that. J.B. Phillips in his translation says, Surely we are not among those who cower back. And if you want to know about the company of those who don't draw back, let's talk about some of those for a minute. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah. By faith, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And Moses, and, and he goes right on down the line, and he gets to the end of the list, and he says, I don't even have the time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and, and all of the ones who by faith did what? Relentlessly persisted. That's what chapter 11 is. It's the record of those who simply didn't stop. Because one thing I know when I read about Abraham and Jacob and Moses, I read about David, one thing I know there's a lot that marked out their life that doesn't look like faith. It looks like something different. It looks like something I need to be warned away from. 
But when he turns us to look at that group, what is he drawing our minds to? Strangely enough, the examples that we get are often not the things you'd think. You'd think that he would bring up David and slay in Goliath. You never, actually, you know what? Past 1 Samuel 17, you never really hear about that again. God was not particularly impressed with helping David kill the giant because the giant was nothing in God's sight. It's brought up, yes, but that's not particularly what God memorializes about David and his experience. He didn't even mention it in the midst of all of this. As a matter of fact, the things that he continues to mention are all things that mark out his people as looking forward. Read it. Read it, and what you'll find is they, they pushed aside the temptation to draw back or, and this is what I want you to see, to accept cheap substitutes. To accept knockoff imitations of the reality of the experience of the life of faith following God. If you'll read chapter 11 with the word endurance or relentless persistence in mind, I think it'll shape the way you see some of these Old Testament saints. And instead of walking by and seeing maybe the gilded, glorious, you know, pictures behind a plate glass to protect any hands from getting on it or protesters throwing things on it, instead of being things that push us away and make us want to stand in awe, here's what they do. They simply point forward. I think all of them, I think think their picture looks about the same. They continue to point forward, every one of them, so that when I walk by the first one and I see Abel, he's pointing forward. And then I walk over to to Enoch over here and he's pointing forward. So it's like somebody put signs up down the hallway so I can keep going forward. And and there's Noah and then there's there's Abraham because he believed and he searched for a better country. And there's Isaac because he blessed believing. And then there's Jacob, he blessed believing. And then Joseph, something about his bones in, in, in Israel and not in Egypt. Man, seems like different things, but all I know is it keeps pushing me forward, forward, forward. Forward to what? Well, relentless persistence is always moving forward. And then we come to chapter 12, and he gives us the place all of these people have been pointing. Because here's what he said. Now, did, did you catch all of those people? This little word that starts chapter 12, wherefore, it's a really cool Greek word. Toi garun. It's actually three Greek words. Toi garun. And they all mean the same thing, essentially. Therefore, therefore, therefore. So you take three therefores and you wrap them all up into one therefore. Well, why would you do that? Pretty sure he doesn't want you to go anywhere until you got what came before the therefore. He wants to say, did, did you get this? Because we're not going forward until you got that. Did you, did you see where they were pointing? Now, we're going to show you where it was in a minute. But if you miss that, you're going to get the wrong idea about those people. You're going to get the idea that because Abraham did, I can. That because David can, I can. That because Samson can, I can. That because... No, 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 you, let's go back, let's go back. Now, look at them again. We're, they're, they're, they're pointing forward, right? So let's, and when we get to chapter 12, it says, if you've got that, now let us look somewhere else. Because here's what I want you to do. I want you to take all that stuff that weighs you down, all that sin that tangles you up so much, and I want you to run with relentless persistence the race in front of you. Your your race is not Abraham's. Your race is not David's. Your race is not Gideon's or Barak's. Your race is the one in front of you, but you're going to run it the same way with relentless persistence. And here's where they're all pointing because we're going to run all this looking unto Jesus. 
it's the last display in the hall of fame of faith. And as I read these two verses, looking to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, relentlessly persisted. He endured the cross, despising the shame. He set down the right hand of God. He finished all that. This is the one. Consider him. I like to put in there on consider him. Do the math. You'll see I'm right. Do the math. This one who endured, endured in the face of such contradiction of hostile, rebellious sinners. And boy, we're good at hostile rebellion. He endured that. I want you to do all that so that you won't be weary and draw back. That was a a lot of explanation to come right back to what he said in chapter 10 when he said, don't draw back, don't draw back, don't give up, don't give up, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. He didn't stop, she didn't stop, he didn't stop, she didn't stop. You know why they didn't stop? You You know why they could relentlessly pursue? Because there was something in this life of faith. There was something that could push, pull, move, take them forward that was far beyond them or even the deeds that they did. It wasn't the claiming of magnificent deeds. They did all that and they never even got the good rewards for those deeds. Read it. You'll see in chapter 11. What did they do? They persisted towards God's promise. And what did Jesus do? Jesus finished God's promise. He's the author. He's the finisher. So I want you to look toward him. Now, don't get the idea. And if you read chapter 11 the wrong way, you might get this idea that because Jesus can, I can. Wrong way to read that. It's not because Jesus could, I can. It's not simply, wow, there's the pattern. Let me do all I can to work up my steely resolve and just take whatever comes my way and keep on anyway. No, 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 no. That's not even the application here. He gives us the application. But it's simply this. Because Jesus did, I can. What are we saying? I'm fighting a battle that is already won. I'm weird in a lot of ways. I know that. I get it. My kids remind me constantly. Sometimes when I study, sometimes I'll listen to music while I'm studying, but sometimes I need to create a buffer of just a, a mental isolation. And I will put on like an old a, a YouTube video of an old golf round, like the final round of an Open Championship or a Masters. I know it's strange, okay? It takes all kinds. What's funny, you know, and I really don't, I, I don't get drawn away because the intensity of it, it's not there, like watching something live. It's like when you, you know, if you record a, a football game and go home to watch it, you know, and you don't want anybody on the way home to tell you, who is the team around here? I don't even know. Gators, Gators okay. Is that, is that, is that? Well, yeah, well, in that case, the intensity is, is lost because you know they lost anyway, so you don't have to worry about it. You had, before they, I, I don't even follow football, not anymore. But whenever, whenever you're going to watch the recording and you don't know, man, you can still enter into the intensity because you don't know what's going to happen in the fourth down and the flag and block kick and the punt and, man, the run back and then the big bomb and is he going to catch it or not? Man, all the details, you, you know, they're, they're adding up to a, a finish that you're unaware of. But when you've seen it before, like the this, like this silly golf round that I might watch or just keep on, or when I come home and maybe you just like watching, a, you know, a really, really, really old game of when Florida beat Georgia. I think it was a good long time ago, wasn't it? <laughs> you opened the door, man. I'm sorry, okay? When you watch one of those and you know your team won, you watch it differently, don't you? Even the bad call by the coach or by the ref, 
even the fourth down that gets stopped at the line of scrimmage and, it, and, and they don't convert the fourth down, even the punt that gets blocked, even the interception, man, you realize, I know what those people are going through. I know. They thought everything was lost. They were rising and falling on every play. Everything hinged and turned on however the momentum of the game was swinging. And here's what I know that they don't know. They're going to win. They're going to win. And if I could get into the screen, I'd go, hey, everybody in whatever stadium, don't worry about it, okay? I know it looks bad, but your team wins, all right? So here's what I want you to do. Man, pick your head up, grab one another, pick them up off the dirt, and let's move again and let's huddle up and go to the next play. Continue. Relentlessly persist. I know how this game ends. You know what? Jesus is there on the right hand of God to show us. This is how the game ends, y'all. I'm victorious, I'm the conqueror, I'm the king. And I know that when you're in the middle of the game and it looks like maybe it was easier before when I wasn't in the middle of this fight and I might just need, and he says, no, 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 looking unto Jesus. Great word, which means block out, focus on anything else and give it completely to him. Just lock in on him and know he is the guarantee that all of this is worth it. Persist. And I know this is easy to say when the game's going well. There's a man in my church, buried his wife last week. She died right in his arms. And the, heart, the, the, the only thing I can give him right now, you say, man, you're a preacher. You ought to be able to give him something else. Is Tony, one foot in front of the other. Let's, let's just take another step. I'm not asking you to run the whole race today. Just one more step. Knowing that God is faithful. Just do that. Can you do that? I can do that, preacher. Well, let's do that. Because I'm going to tell you what endurance, relentless persistence looks like. It is not Superman coming out of the phone booth, okay, with his cape flowing and his muscles bulging and his hair perfect, his jaw set, and then up, up, up and away, and off he goes to save the day. That is not what relentless persistence looks like. You know what it looks like? It looks like people in here who were saying, y'all, y'all, listen up. Man, I could barely get here in time. The car had a flat yesterday. We tried to get it going, but we showed up and we had our Bibles and we were ready to get in with God's people and worship. Man, it's tomorrow morning when things look like it's not going to go well, but I'm going I'm to stop. I'm going to acknowledge God's sovereignty in my life. I'm going to follow him. And as I go to work, I'm going to see the people around me as souls, not as problems to be fixed. It is relentless pursuit every day in the most mundane things of life. It really is bedraggled, clothes torn, foot dragging, and just going on. You say, man, sometimes it's like that. I think sometimes it's, it's almost, it's more like that than it is the cape flowing and the muscles bulging. I don't even remember many of those days. That's why we have the admonition. Pursue. Relentlessly persist. Now, there's a couple of ways that we might quit. Now, one reason we might quit is fear. That's why I said some of them they decided they weren't afraid of Pharaoh. They chose to serve God, okay? They decided they were more afraid of God or they had a fear of the Lord that outweighed their fear of any earthly thing. Some of them just grew weary. Some of them decided shortcuts were easier than the long road. Now, those are the things you have to go back and read their whole story to find because what we realize is they took a shortcut here, but God brought, brought them back onto the long road. Some of them accepted cheap 
imitations. Now God brought them back and they persisted. But while we might fear and we might forget and we might grow fatigued. I got, I got my, little, my little thing in, you know, my alliteration, all right? So I'm done with my alliteration. That might be what happens with us. But how will it express itself? How will our drawing back look? It might be I'm done, I'm cashing it in, I'm walking away, I quit. Some of you have thought about doing that. Some of you are here this morning, you kind of already have. You're just here because you're here. It might just be cashing it in and I'm done. Some of you, though, it's going to look a little different. It's going to look like what it looked like, say, in Abraham's life. When he decided that he'd take a, he'd take a cheap knockoff. He'd take a cheap imitation of God's promise rather than let God delivering on what he said he would do. He would get involved and make it happen. And I'm going to tell you, there is no shortage of cheap imitations. It's worship that's disconnected from a God who actually rules in our lives. It is being able to show up, look in the right part, smile on your face, family acting acting right for once when they get here. It is a, it's a good phone call when the pastor calls or shows up or walks by or somebody else or it's, you know what, the, the plate is going by and so what you do is you place your money in the plate. It might be for you religious observance without authentic discipleship. Let me just let me read to you one, one man that's particularly helped me with this recently. He said this, There is a great market for religious experience in our world. There is a little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. There is a little inclination to sign up, and here's the phrase, to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. Did you catch that phrase, a long apprenticeship? Isn't it a relief to know that while there's a race to be run, I don't have to finish it today. I just have to run this day before me. I don't actually have to have it all figured out. I just have to have faith for this day. I don't have to worry about tomorrow's mercies. Today's mercies are new. And you'll find the repeated theme throughout the scriptures. And by the way, I say to read chapter 11 of Hebrews with the idea of relentless persistence. If you'll read your Bible, at some, just grab it and start to read one of the stories from either the Old or the New Testament. And say, I'm going to read this with relentless persistence coloring the whole screen. You'll find this everywhere. You'll find it everywhere. I'm not saying it's the only theme. I'm saying it's there so much that we can't ignore it. And here's the relentless persistence. It's not leaping to the end. It's not taking the shortcut. It's what we're going to do today. Let's walk it today. It's Sunday. What does is, what is walking it out Sunday look like? It's Monday. What does walking it out Monday look like? It's Tuesday and on and on and on. It's the life of daily persistence. It, it really still amazes me. That as I read Hebrews chapter 12, when we get to the end of these magnificent saints who really and truly have only been highlighted because they were pointing the way towards Jesus, who's the final display in all of this. And what is it that we find about Jesus that is highlighted for us? It's not his miracles. Does not say for consider him who did incredible miracles, who walked on the water. Hey, go, go sail on that water with me in, in about a year and a half. Let's do it. Man, it's phenomenal. Who spoke 
from a boat out there and told the winds, you hush. Told the waves, y'all settle down. And they said, glad to. We'll do it right now. Who told disease, you're out of here. Be clean. You're clean. We're talking about the one who spoke the worlds into existence. But when we come to Hebrews chapter 12, what is the exhortation? I'm sorry, what is the, the highlight of the Lord Jesus? I mean, the God of creation and redemption. He says, he persisted. Oh, there's more you could say about Jesus. Oh, certainly there's more you say about Jesus. But what the author of Hebrews, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says is, I want you to look at the one who persisted and took it all the way to its finish. I'll leave you with an illustration and we'll be done. I don't know how to apply it to your life because I, I, don't, I don't know what situation you're in. I don't know where you walked in here today, thinking about turning back, remembering a day when you walked away. And somehow God's grace brought you back to that place of remembrance and you came back to it. But, but here's, what I, here's what I want you to see as, as a kind of a closing illustration. I learned something about mountain climbers recently. I have to say I learned it about them because it's not by, by experience because I don't climb mountains. I mean like, the, you know, the repelling hooks and ropes and all that. Carabiners, not for me, all right? I learned that when they climb the mountain as teams, they do something. They take a rope and they tie it off to the lead person. And they run, that, they run that rope back and they tie it off to the next person. And then they run that rope back and they tie it off to the next person. When you're climbing, you're not hanging on to the rope. But the rope is actually hanging on to you in a way. Here's how. Because what mountain climbers know invariably when they, when they take on some arduous climb, somebody, everybody probably at some point is going to fall down. They're going to. That's the nature of going through those kinds of conditions. You're going you're gonna to get tired or you're going to slip. Something's going to happen and you're going to fall down. But don't be afraid. Why? Because there's a rope attached to you and that rope is attached to all those people who are on the journey with you. So that when you fall, they invariably have to stop and pick you up. They want to go on. And they want you to go with them. So they're going to have to stop and pick you up and set you, at, set you back and make sure you're right. And say, are we set? Let's go again. And one thing you always know, the anchor rope is always tied. The anchor point is always to the master climber. The one who knows the way, who knows how to persist, who knows the dangers, who's been there before. And we can follow with confidence. I love that when we read Hebrews 12, it says, Therefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye, that is a plural pronoun, you all, all of these are plurals. Persistence in isolation will not happen. Persistence in isolation will not happen. You say, then how do I persist? You said it's not just steely resolve. You said it's not just bowing up and saying, I'm going to take whatever comes my way. That's the cheap imitation. Relentless persistence in the way this has been given to us is to tie your rope to the people around you. 
Let's go in community. Let's go as the church. Let's link in and let's get behind the Lord Jesus Christ because we know he's not going to fail. He already finished. And as we link up together, when he falls, guess what we all do? Cut the rope and cut him loose. No, sir. We are not of them that draw back. We go back and we pick them up. We make sure they got what they need and we persist. And when I fall, they come to me and say, Come on, let's, let's go. You got what you need? Did you drop your stuff? Let's get you all hitched up. Everything's set and ready to go. Let's persist. Persistence in isolation will not happen. It won't. Don't try to challenge me on this and go find out. Look at the, look at the community of faith God built. It was made to be walked out together. Monuments. Tell us how far we came to quote somebody from about 100 years ago. Monuments tell us how far we came. Footprints tell the next generation where we were when we kept going. Footprints tell us, they tell the next generation where we were when we kept going. I didn't come all the way from, from Georgia to Florida really to do anything but tell you, keep going, keep going, get up. Get back up. Don't quit. Don't draw back. Don't accept cheap knockoffs. Don't, don't, don't satisfy yourself with religious observance. Come in here and look in the park. Man, buy into authentic discipleship. Make sure you got that. Make sure you're hooked into the rope with everybody else, and let's go. And here's what I'd say when I'm at my church. If you will, I will. So here's what I'd say. I bet you, if you will, he will too. And he will too, and he will too, and she will too, and she will too. Let's do this together. Hupameno, relentlessly persist. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? Like I said a minute ago, I don't know your particular situation. So I don't know where you're at. Man, if you're here and, and <laughs> drawing back, quitting, accepting imitations or shortcuts in your, in your faith, if that, if that hasn't entered your mind, man, fantastic. Keep your focus on the unwavering Christ.